0: Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter seventeen uh, we 're going to look at uh, the second part of what we really started last week, the Transfiguration uh, it 's an experiential debrief uh, they 've had this incredible experience. Some might say the most incredible experience that anyone could have in the New Testament is uh, this picture, this glimpse of heaven, and really this uh, as you look at it, this foretaste of glory—that this moment in time where they could see uh, Jesus, his his face shown, his his clothing shown—and and then to have the Father come and and share with them a message: "This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him." And as we uh, look at this, they experience that, and it's the moments right after that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, if you've had a, a great experience, a great spiritual experience, there is a time after where you're thinking through, you're debriefing with yourself, you're, you're musing in your own mind, wondering, well, what happens next? Uh, you, you might wonder, uh, what's, what's happened to me? Uh, h- how is this going to change my life? Uh, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. They're coming down from the mountain. In fact, one of the conversations I think would would have been really interesting, we really don't have a record of it, is that only three of the disciples got to go up the mountain. And undoubtedly, they found the other disciples after they came off the mountain. And they talked to other people. And the question, hey, what went on up there? What's happened to you? Why What went on that was so amazing that you've changed? What happened to you? What happened to me? And then to consider, what does all this mean for the future? Uh, That's what we're going to look at this morning as we consider uh, what it was like for them to come down from the mountain. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you, starting at verse 9 in chapter 17, the passage for this morning. And as they were coming down, uh, coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say the first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. join me in prayer. Father God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. We ask that you would have your way with us that we would be marked by this passage of Scripture and that we'd be reminded of where we need to be with you. Give us the strength uh, to learn. Give us the strength to be changed, and we'll trust you for them both and for all. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Verse 9, it just says they were coming down the mountain. And I wonder what what that was like i wonder they've just experienced this amazing uh picture of jesus and who he is they've had visitations from moses and elijah and then the father making this grand pronouncement and and then it's over then it's over and i picture them standing there going whoa i picture them wondering you know what happens next what what do we do how do we go from here and it says they came down the mountain. The first thing that we have recorded is Jesus giving them a command. You need to do this. And what is it? Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's a tall order, isn't it? They've just, and maybe it, maybe it wasn't a tall order. Maybe it was a relief Maybe the, the experience was so overwhelming that their immediate thought was, well, how am I going to explain this to anyone else? How, how am I going to tell them, uh, yeah, I was up on this hill, and it was Jesus, and we were there, and, you know, the three of us are standing there, Jesus, and then all of a sudden, Moses showed up. Mo- Moses showed up, yeah, and then Elijah showed up. And then... Uh, the father kind of showed up but we he heard his voice and and people are going you're crazy i don't know what their response was but this this is what we do know is that jesus commanded him one thing don't tell anyone tough to imagine it seems uh like we would expect jesus to say something totally different i i would expect that jesus would say well tell everybody Tell everyone what you experienced with me. Tell everyone who I am. Tell everything how great it's going to be. But Jesus uh, is not like me. Jesus uh, was in touch and, and in direct step with the Father's plan. And this is another place we've been seeing of quite a few of them as we've come through the book of Matthew. You remember a few weeks back, Jesus was talking about his suffering and going to Jerusalem. And Peter says, no, don't do it. It's not going to happen. And Jesus says to him, what? He says, get behind me, Satan. He, he looks to Peter and he says, Peter, you have your plans But they're man's plans, but I don't go by man's plans. I'm the Father's plan. I'm I'm doing a different plan. And as we see this passage once again, we see Jesus marching to the plan of the Father. This morning, as we consider this passage, I just want to tell you again that your plans may not be the Lord's plans. You may have different plans. You may think they're well and good. You may have thought them out well, and you may have, uh, you're, you may be very smart, but they may not be what the Lord has. And I, I want to put that to you. And, and it's for us this morning and really our whole study of Matthew and the whole Bible is us getting in step with his plan, not him coming over to our plan. That would be a bad deal, by the way. Um, we, we've shown that over and over again, haven't we? individually we've shown that our plans are not good but that his plans are always best and so it's us getting in step with him and this morning if you're here uh, you may have i don't know why you're here this morning i'm glad you're here i'm glad you're here it's always shocking to me i was speaking to uh first service and by the way um if you have like issues about people being close to you and stuff like that don't come to the first service okay uh, it's a little stuffy sometimes. Maybe in the winter, first service will be a little bit better because we'll need the heat. But uh, uh, I want to tell you, it blows my mind when people show up at church. I'm thankful. I- I'm surprised. I-, I-, I love it. They're not paying you as you leave, are they? There's not someone handing out $5 bills or something like that. Some of you go, I'd come for much less than that. Uh, but I uh, I, I, I love it. I love that you're here. But, but the reason the Lord has brought you here is that he wants you to be a part of his plan. That he wants you to be in step with his plan. He, he wants you to give up your plan and come and listen to him and walk with him. Go where he wants you to go. Do what he wants you to do. As we see this passage, the first thing he shares is tell no one of this vision you've received this foretaste of glory you've got a glimpse of what it's like now tell no one but know that it's worth worth it and then he tells him this he he says there's just a time frame on this until the son of man is raised from the dead so we get two pieces of information there about the future first jesus is going to die and second he's going to be raised from the dead that we know that and he says this is how this plan's going to go and he's already said this three or four times already sometimes veiled references other times very specific and all the while the disciples are going "Eh, that's probably not really going to happen probably i'm missing something here that's really not going to go that way Uh, no that shouldn't be and and yet jesus says it again he says he says don't tell anyone until die risen again this is the time and and why because he's pushing to the to the cross his plan of redemption is what's at hand here it's not about his popularity it's not about him drawing a crowd it's not him doing a show from town to town to town it is him going to the cross that he might give himself be risen from the dead to conquer sin and death and that fly get away from me um jesus is pushing to the cross his first command is don't tell anyone the second thing we we find is the disciples question in verse 10 and the disciples asked him and this is so interesting to me that we go from don't tell anyone transfiguration don't tell anyone and they're they're like what's what's the first question that they want to ask what's the one that is the inspired question that we get to deal with this morning elijah elijah it, it doesn't seem like that's where they would go. And yet in the disciples' minds, this is where they, they said, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come or must come first? They go immediate to, to Elijah. And if you look over, you don't have to turn there if, unless you want to and you don't think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, in Malachi chapter 4, malachi chapter 4 you see that at the end of the book of malachi he says this as as we look at the scriptures malachi says this behold i will send elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the lord and as the scribes had read that as the religious leaders of the day had read that they said we know about the messiah the messiah is going to come he's going to come in judgment And we're looking forward to that. But before he comes, before he comes, Elijah will come. Uh, As I was thinking about this, this may have been one of the math problems that they did to say that Jesus is not the Messiah. They said, well, Elijah hasn't come. Elijah hasn't come. And so this is what they're struggling with. The scribes had been teaching this. They had made it clear. It was one of the things that were hot on their mind, is that Elijah must come. Elijah must come. He must come before. He must be a a forerunner, if you will, before, pre-Christ, pre-Messiah. And so as they looked for Elijah, you you could picture the disciples going, well, that was it. That was it. We just experienced it. Elijah was here. I I saw him. He, He was there. He was part of this. Was that it? They're struggling with, what is the plan? How is it that this is all coming together? We have these bits and pieces of prophecy, and and we know that the scribes have been teaching us that Elijah must come. Is this it? As they considered this, uh, so they asked uh, this question. They were looking for Messiah before the day of the Lord, and before the Lord, obviously. And Jesus' response is, yes, and already. Okay, yes and already. As you look at verse 11, he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. So Jesus' answer to Elijah must come. Isn't it true that Elijah must come? That's what the scribes had taught us. Jesus' answer is, yes, he will come and he's already come. He's already come but they missed him but they did not recognize him as you consider prophecy i want i want you to know this that uh the people in the day of prophecy didn't always understand all the details they were looking for a road map if you will so that they could say aha i'm smart i understand it uh the people in christ day Looked at prophecy of the Old Testament, and they misunderstood, and so they needed Jesus to un- unpack this is how my plan comes together, and this is one of those passages. Is it where Jesus says yes, and he 's already come, yes, and he will come, and he, he will restore all things. I want to uh, just continue on in Malachi. Malachi says, Behold, I will send thee a prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes' And then in verse 6, it says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So we see uh, Elijah's, this prophecy of Elijah coming, even was one of of pre-pointing to the Messiah, but also uh, uh, transformation that would come in the hearts of fathers and families okay catch that fathers and families we'll come back to that Um, you say well why why Elijah what's the significance of Elijah and maybe you are familiar maybe you're not familiar with who Elijah was in the Old Testament we're going to breeze through that this morning I realize that there's much more to say that I won't be able to say this morning if you want to turn there in first kings chapter 18 know this, that Elijah was a prophet who he prophesied at the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings. That's where we get uh, the data on him. And he's mentioned other times in the scripture, but that's where he prophesied where he was in the flesh. As we consider uh, what Elijah did and what uh, his role he played in history He was a prophet during a dark day of Israel, and there were many dark days, but this was a significant one. We have the king Ahab being over the northern kingdom, his wife Jezebel. You may have heard of her. Um, Not too many um, parents name their daughters Jezebel. I don't know why. I've heard a lot of People called Jezebel, but not like that, their God-given name or their parent-given name. Anyways, um, so, so Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab uh, was a particularly wicked king that he worshipped Baal. He worshipped Baal. And not just worshipped Baal, but by example and by really culture of their time, he led others to worship Baal. And so when you hear worship Baal, sometimes we go, oh, yeah, it's just another god. But, but think of it this way. You have Israel having a special relationship, chosen relationship with God, that God sought them out and gave them privilege and, and gave them position. And he, he gave them a special relationship with himself. And in that, uh, you have a king who, over these people, decides for another. Decides, oh, I'm going to go worship another god. I'm going to go choose another God. I'm going to go personally bow down and worship someone other than the God of Israel, the God who chose me, the God who cared for me, the God who placed me in position. What a rejection. I want to tell you that God never, this is not a a small deal to the one true God. God. He, he doesn't allow idolatry and when i say he doesn't allow it, he you can make any idol that you want but don't think your life will go well and for ahab that was true as well and so ahab he chooses baal he leads others the it's pro, it's prominent in his country because of his leadership or lack thereof and you see him uh doing this and the prophet Elijah comes and prophesies that they will be in a a severe drought, a severe drought. In fact, the drought lasted three and a half years. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, I've heard people uh, make cracks about that Elijah has cursed the great land of California. Um, That may sound funny, but some of the same problems we have here is the same problems they had there. I'm not saying anything by that. I'm just saying, okay. Don't quote me that the pastor's saying Elijah cursed California. I'm just saying he should have. That's all I'm saying. Um, Anyways, anyways, we get back to Baal and Elijah, Ahab. So, but but so he curses the land. There's a severe drought. Everyone is struggling, and but but Jesus or the Father is taking care of Elijah. Elijah has food. Elijah has water. He's put in different situations. One, he's given a spring in an area that has water, and the ravens come, and he eats that. And just different places. God is taking care of Elijah. Why? Elijah's his servant. He takes care of his servants. While the rest of the nation was struggling, Elijah was being taken care of by God. Uh, Ahab referred to um, Elijah as the troubler of Israel, the one who brought trouble to Israel, which is ironic, isn't it? Because Ahab was the one who brought the trouble to Israel. Shoot the messenger, you know, classic uh, move there that, of taking, placing blame on the messenger as opposed to uh, considering their own sins. And so you have uh, Israel, the uh, northern kingdom, being worshiping Baal. And finally, as this time draws to a close of this drought, there's a challenge. There's a challenge brought about by Elijah he uh, brings this challenge, and it's part of his prophetic ministry. He brings this challenge to Baal and the, the followers of Baal and the prophets of Baal. And he says, let's have a, a challenge. We'll take two bulls and we will sacrifice them. And one will be sacrificed to Baal. And I will sacrifice the other one to the one true God, the one who I serve, the, the God of Israel. Uh, that's, this is, and we will see who is God who is real and so you first Baal prophets of Baal come in and they they build an altar and they take one of these bulls and they kill it and and they make this altar and it says this that from morning till noon they cried out to Baal they cried out to Baal and and what was the gist of it oh Baal answer us oh Baal answer us now I don't know when morning started Let's say it started at 8 or 9, okay? Might have started earlier, but morning. I know what time noon is, right? It's lunchtime. It's almost lunchtime. Sorry to do that to you. Um, You have from morning till noon, it's as if they, they cried out from morning till noon to Baal. For hours they cried, Baal, answer us. They probably put it in different language and different terms and they cried out and it probably was hot that day and it had been in a drought and so it was dry and dusty and and, and they cried out to Baal for hours. They cried to him. till it got to the place where Elijah could take it no more. And we really don't have a a judgment on this, but there's some holy mockery that's going to go on. If you look down in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, you see Elijah comes and he enters the scene in this afternoon time after they've been crying out for hours. And they've been crying for the answers from Baal. And he uh, begins to answer and to mock them in verse 27. He says, and at noon... Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud. Cry aloud. They'd already cried aloud. And it's the idea of get louder. Maybe, maybe if you just got louder, Baal could hear you. He says, cry aloud, for he is God. And then he goes into a list, and he says... Maybe he's musing, the idea of thinking or meditating. Maybe, maybe he's got some deep thoughts that he's busy doing other things. This is my favorite part. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. He's in the bathroom. That's why Baal hasn't answered you. He's having some problems in the bathroom. And, 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 and I could go farther. I really want to. The youth pastor in me wants to just go here, okay? And, And you can understand, this is so interesting to me because Elijah, serving the one true God, he looks upon Baal, and it's not just a few people that are worshiping Baal. It talks about thousands, thousands. And Elijah goes, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy, if you know what I mean. And, and Elijah, he says, you know, he's meditating or he's musing. He's in the bathroom or, or he's on a journey. Maybe you didn't know. He, he, he's not open for business. Or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Maybe he's like your grandpa. Sometimes he, you know, he put, turns sports on and he falls asleep on the couch. And he just, he's sleeping. That's why he's not answering you. And Elijah mocks. He mocks the idea that Baal can help them. And I want to tell you, uh, it is a funny story. But it's not funny when we're worshiping and serving Baal. When we've chosen some other God, that we have neglected our special relationship that Jesus has paid for in his death and resurrection. And we go to something else and we say, I don't know why it's not it's not working because it can't work it's not alive it's not like your god and so elijah we pick up the story in verse 36 and at the time of the offering the oblation elijah the prophet came near and said listen to this this is so beautiful O lord god of abraham Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You see in those verses that we skipped through it wasn't just simply that it was an altar similar to that uh, of the one for Baal but that they Put the wood there and they put the bull there and then they doused it with water and then they doused it again with water and then they doused it again with water and they put a trench around it a moat if you will and and so the water would stay there and it says when the lord showed up it was all gone that he would show them all that he was not to be trifled with he was not a god that was to be neglected and that he was a god that was alive and well and was intimately involved in their their day he was intimately involved in their country he was intimately he he knew what was going on this was elijah as we consider elijah again we can turn over a few pages to second kings and we see his departure in second kings uh, the second chapter verse 11 you see uh, him and his um, the one he mentors the young prophet Elisha and they're spending time together and Elisha's waiting and knowing that his departure is soon that that he's an old man and this won't last forever that I can enjoy this relationship and they, they spent time together, others are watching, and uh, Elijah knows that he is going to leave, and, and then finally, this is what happens in verse 11, and it says, and as they still went on and talked behold chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried my father my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen and he saw him no more that's not a usual hum going by the way that in and of itself was an amazing picture that Elisha got to experience. And this shows the, the special nature and the really that he, do, he didn't die, that Elijah uh, was being that special prophet of God. We see this, and I just want to point out one, one more thing, is that Elijah's message in the Old Testament was rejected was rejected that as he spoke with the king and others it wasn't this sense of oh the prophet speaks we got to listen it was that he was rejected there were some that did not worship Baal but there were others who heard the message and went ahead as you consider this you, you realize that he was a rejected prophet you see another rejected prophet in John the Baptist. There were many who, who turned and listened to John the Baptist, but in his time as the forerunner before Jesus, we've studied that in the book of Matthew, where John the Baptist came and he, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what did the religious leaders do? They rejected him. They rejected him just as they had rejected or generations before the kings and prophets or kings and religious leaders had rejected um, Elijah and you say well what's the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah if you turn over to Luke chapter 1 I'm sorry if your fingers are working too hard this morning I usually don't make you work this hard In Luke chapter 1, uh, it's the birth, or or the pre-birth, if you will, the conception time of John the Baptist. And an angel comes and speaks to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 16. And the angel's telling Zechariah about his son that was to be born. And he says, this is what he is going to be like. This is his role, if you will. And this is what it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. and And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. There's the connection, and I want to connect for you. I, I mentioned it earlier. I want you to see this because it's very important for us at Bear Valley Church. This is super important because of what we believe the Lord's doing here. We've talked about this many times, rescuing families, okay? God has a plan. God has a plan. It's for us to get involved in His plan, to walk in step with His plan. And you say, well, sometimes, you know, we got to do important stuff and kids... You know, don't really fit into that. Uh, I want to tell you, in, in the midst of him talking about prophecy, of the importance of Elijah coming because of the day of the Lord, what does he say? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Children to their fathers. That, that's in the Old Testament. It's part of the prophecy. It's what he's doing. Part of his plan is relationship and family i want you to get this there's no more important thing there's no more greater practical implications of the greatness of the plan of god is that it happens in your family because god wants to transform fathers and mothers and parents for that next generation why because it's part of his plan Sometimes we get this picture that, that you know, I, I'm just so spiritual. I'm learning about God. I, I'm doing the deep study of theology. And I don't got any time for my kids. I don't got any time for marriage. I don't got any time for all the foolishness of my grandkids. I, I don't have any time for that. I want to tell you, in the midst of talking about some of the greatest things, the plan of God, he says, fathers and children. <laughs> How does that fit in? It fits in because it's the plan of God. And so we see that this rejected prophet is connected with this rejected forerunner in John the Baptist and that he is a type or a uh, a part of, there's a distinction there in person. It's not that John the Baptist is Elijah. It's that he's a type or a person of him and that's why the explanation comes from Jesus that this was the Elijah. And this is the way they understood it. As you see, uh, the conclusion they come to is that they knew uh, in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. I want to just add one last point of future. Um, what, what does the future hold? As they uh, were with Jesus, what could they expect for the future? And he says this, Elijah did come. They didn't recognize him. They recognized John the Baptist. They didn't acknowledge him as part of the plan of God. Being that forerunner, they didn't acknowledge him. What happened to John the Baptist? Do you remember? We talked about it a few months ago. I assume you are giving me the sign. Is that sermons going too long? No, John the Baptist lost his head. And, and that was the, the implication of his message. John the Baptist preached, and he did, and he was hated for it, and he lost his head. He's rejected. And Jesus says this that they didn't recognize him as the Elijah, that they might be able to accept his message. In fact, the answer was off with his head. And Jesus says of the future, he says, but they but they did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Jesus says it once again. Guess what's coming next? Suffering. Same hands, same people. Same spirit. We hate the message. We hate the message. So we're going to kill Jesus. We're going to cause him to suffer and then he's going to die. A few things to remember as we consider uh, the passage we looked at today. First thing is this John the Baptist and Elijah were pointers to the Messiah, not themselves. John the Baptist and Elijah were pointers to the Messiah not themselves. Elijah did great things, amazing things. I I would have loved to have been there when those sacrifices were going. I would have loved to heard Elijah's mocking. I would love to heard his confident cry out to God. I, I would have loved to have been there. But Elijah didn't say, look how great I am. Look how great I am. In fact, the same thing happened to John the Baptist. That they were looking to him, and they were saying, "Whoa, what a preacher! Oh, what this!" And he says, "There's one greater coming that I'm not worthy to touch his sandals. this is this is not about me. It's pointing to others." And I want to tell you, this is what we should be doing. We live in a selfie culture, which saying, "Hey, do you like the way I'm looking? Do you like the food I'm eating? Look at how great I am! Look at what I'm doing!" And, and we're so wanting the, the attention of people, and we work our day to see so, how so many people will think that we're great. And it's not about us being great. If there's anything that comes out of our life that's great, it should point to the Messiah Jesus. Anything. as was true in the life of Elijah, true in the life of John the Baptist, should be true in our lives as well, to be pointers to the one that is greater. Second thing we should remember is this: that John the Baptist and Elijah had similar roles. Their messages were very similar. Uh, Elijah's message: "You're doing evil, and you should stop it." I don't care if you're a king or a small person. It doesn't matter. You're doing evil, and you should stop it. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and which means repent now repent now it's time to repent because what you're doing is wrong and jesus has something better for you you know that was jesus message too repent for the kingdom of heaven. he said the same message why it's not a call of you're dumb and stupid and you should stop it it's that jesus has something better for you come away from your evil ways i have something better for you with me this is the same message that they had and I want to tell you it's an unpopular one but it's a right one it's a good message and then thirdly suffering is the plan and path for Elijah John the Baptist Jesus and for you and for you if you think that following after the lord is not going to have any problems with it and everyone's going to be so impressed that we're following after Christ, and everyone's going to cheer. You're wrong. It doesn't teach that in the New Testament. Elijah didn't teach that. John the Baptist didn't teach that. Jesus, he was saying it over and over again. Suffering will come. Why? Because we have this idea that life's just going to be f- filled with ease, and nothing's going to be a problem for us because we're following after God. It's not true. But it's also, I want you to remember this. It's also why the transfiguration was there. <laughs> that those three saw that it was going to be worth it. They, they had a glimpse of glory. They, they had this, this foretaste of this glorification that was meant to show them it's all going to be worth it. Any suffering that you have to, any trial you have to endure, it's all going to be worth it because of what is to come. Please pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would sort out my jumble thoughts and that you would mark each one here through your spirit, through your word. Uh, May we remember, may we remember Elijah and John the Baptist, the path that they took and the plan that you had and realize that you are continuing to work out your plan. May we get in step with you, not seek for you to bless our plans. God, thank you for this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.